Today I'm going to share a story about him, his friend Doug, and these two crazy teenagers um, hanging out in the, the woods uh, behind their home and playing with pellet guns. So Bob describes that one day they get home uh, from after school and then they pull out their pellet guns. They say, hey, let's go, let's go shoot. And he feels really, they both feel really adventurous, you know, a couple kids with guns and they're shooting anything that moves, uh, including cans and any other things that, that don't move. And they're really excited and they feel like men, you know. All, all they need is, is, is a, a whiskey and, and, a, and a cigarette to, to make it even more manly, you know. And as they're shooting and target practicing and doing these things, Bob turns around and he discovers that Doug is no longer there. So he starts to call out Doug's name and he's looking for Doug behind the shrubs and the, the trees and he doesn't see Doug and all of a sudden he hears Doug say, don't move. He says, surely I'm not in the crossfire of what he's talking about. Surely he's not thinking of shooting me. I'm his buddy. I'm his friend. We're like, you know, best of friends. And as soon as he's thinking that thought, he says he feels really warm right by his belly button. And he says he puts down his hand and he sees a tear in his t-shirt and he starts to think about approaching some kind of light, you know, and his friend rushes over and says, I'm sorry, man. And his friend is chewing on some bubble gum and grabs a leaf and puts the bubble gum on the leaf and then puts it on the wound. And he says, dude, you're going you're gonna to make it. You are going to make it. And he puts him on his shoulder and they eventually walk back to Doug's home. Doug lays him down in bed and Bob remembers saying, dude, if I don't make it out of this, then you can keep my, my bike and please tell my parents that I love him a lot. And of course, it's over-dramatized because he's got a little welt, you know. It's just a pellet gun. There is no blood. But this is a serious thing for some teenage boys. And Bob remembers that Doug held him from the hand. He said, man, I'm really sorry, man. I'm going to take care of you. You tell me what you need. He goes and gets him something to drink. And Bob looks at him and says, why are you being so nice to me? I mean, it is what it is. He says, well, I've, I've been taken care of real I've been taken care of really well by my parents um, but I've learned about this person his name is is Jesus and for the first time ever Bob remembers thinking I never saw Doug as a religious person I never saw Doug as somebody who knew this person that I only heard stories about namely Jesus and then he says that he all of a sudden started to feel an attraction towards Doug of saying, I want to know who he knows and I want to love how he loves. I mean, he is sharing some encouraging words, but he's all also has his hands on me. He came and he brought me to his bed. He's giving me water. He's taking care of my pellet wound, you know? And at that point, 
Bob said, hey, I want you to share more. Tell me all about this person, Jesus. And Doug went to share in whatever words he could share as a sophomore in high school. And we're going to look at a couple of things from the story, namely about Doug, is that we see that Doug knew how to love tangibly. It wasn't just words. So he just shot his friend with a pellet gun, and he didn't walk away and say, you've got it, I'll see you tomorrow, first period. He stayed with him, and he showed tangible love, more than a thought, right? He unpacked it. And another thing we see about Doug is that he was an ordinary guy, a little bit mischievous, adventurous, broken for sure. And Bob never figured that Doug was a religious guy, whatever that means. And we'll chat about that in a little bit. So those are two things that we're going to focus on this morning. He knew how to love tangibly, and he was an ordinary guy, broken guy, messed up guy. So tangible love, according to Scripture, is proof to the world that we belong to Jesus. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. I'm going to read this to you. This might be, if, if you are a note taker on your phone or on one of those note cards, um, it doesn't matter if you've heard this 50 times. Let, 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 let the Spirit do something um, and and speak to you today in regard to where you're at in life today. So John chapter 13, verse 34 says this about tangible love. Okay, so Jesus Christ is talking to his best friends, a.k.a. his disciples, and they're sitting around a table having the last supper, the last meal that they'll have together before Jesus Christ goes to the cross. And this is what he says. He says, hey, I'm giving you a new commandment. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. 35, focus on this, please. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus Christ says the way the world will know that you are my disciples, a.k.a. my followers, a.k.a. my children, a.k.a. my best friends, is by the way you love. That's how the world will say there's something different about them. And in regard to the story, we see that there was something different about Doug, right? He shoots his friend with a pellet gun, and he's taking care of him. He's loving him. He's encouraging him. He's actually even sharing hope of a better reality, Jesus. How will people know we're his followers? How will people know that there is something different about us? It's not our job, not our lack of job, not our diplomas, not our lack of diplomas, not our financial bracket or our lack of being in some sort of financial bracket. It's not about who we know, who we don't know. And all those are gifts of God, by the way. I'm not standing up here saying education is wrong, money's wrong, living in a nice place, having a nice... Those are beautiful gifts from God. But there isn't anything in the entire Bible that says that people will know we are His except by what? 
by love. Think about how easy, simple that is, but about how we complicate it. People will know you are mine by how you love. And we've learned that love is tangible, right? It's always sacrificial. It's always putting the needs of others above our own. See, being connected to Jesus Christ leads to our imitation of what Jesus Christ has done. When Jesus Christ is sharing these words in John chapter 13, he's on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. Necessary? No. If anybody should be washing feet, should be the disciples washing the feet of the Son of God, the one who's about to go die for the sins of the world. But Jesus Christ says, let me set the example, because that's what leaders do, right? Right? Leaders have influence, and they do it by setting examples, right? You're a leader. You're a leader. You're a leader. Every single person in this room has a sphere of influence. You either talk about it, You either say, I have a bunch of knowledge, and it stays packed in there, both locks clamped down, forgot the combination, or you unpack it, and you put it in motion. He says, you being connected to me is what will allow you to produce that fruit. So, in John chapter 15... I'm going to draw something for you, so maybe you can look up here. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, I'm the vine. So think of a vine. And he says, you guys are the branches. You ready? He says, when you're connected to me, you produce much fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Galatians chapter 5 verse 23. And this is where we tend to get it very wrong. We say, but I can't love like that because I just don't feel it. And that's where we're completely messed up. It's not about us. We want the world to orbit around us. We get mad on 75 when traffic is going slow because what? We think the world should revolve around us. When we get a text or a phone call from a friend seeing if we can maybe help out with X or Y, why do we get upset? Why do we stress? Why is there anxiety? Because it's not on an Outlook calendar and we make it about us. Doesn't she know how busy life is? How dare she? And that's where we get it completely messed up. Never, ever, ever does Jesus Christ say, love is convenient. 
And here's the beautiful thing is that he gives us this model. He says, it is about me, the vine. And when you're connected to that vine, you naturally produce fruit, but we pull ourselves out of the picture. It's not about trying harder. He says there's natural fruit when you're connected to the source of life, right? That vine is a source of life for the branches, right? There is no branch. I'm sorry, there is no vine. The branch dies, right? I'm the one with the nutrients. I'm the one connected to the soil. And then I give you what you need. Not I'm going to give you what you need. Your connection gives it to you automatically. Your connection to him says it's there. It says that he is our father. We are his children. If we are his children, you know what we are? His heirs. King of Kings, capital K. He says, what I have is yours. He says, just go do now. And what I have to do very often is pull myself out of the picture. Often, it's say, why do I think life revolves around me? Why do I think my wife's needs should revolve around mine? Why, does it, why don't I put her in the middle? What if you did that with me and with the person sitting next to you and everywhere else? It would be a beautiful dance of us serving and loving each other. I don't have to worry about my needs because I know he's looking out for me. If I'm not mistaken, that's what the first church did in Acts chapter 2. They said they sat down, they spoke the word of God, they learned under the word of God. It says that they ate together and then it says it. They brought everything that they had and when there was a need, they met the needs. The people met the needs. You and I, not the church, not the pastor. The people met the needs of each other. They already had what they needed. Second part of what we observe about Doug is that he was adventurous, right? Mischievous. Wasn't walking around with a Bible, even though there's nothing wrong with walking around with a Bible. He was a little punk. Shot his friend in the stomach with a pellet gun. Gave him a big old welt. He's ordinary and broken. Like you. And like me. In Luke chapter 5, we see good news about being broken. We see good news about what Jesus says about broken and ordinary people. This is what he says. Verse 31. So let me me set it up real quick. So Jesus is coming into towns. 
He's teaching people. He's loving people. He's healing people. He's calling people and saying, come, follow me. And you know who he chose? The riffraffs. The ordinary, the broken. The people who the church people hated. So there was this group of like really religious churchy people. And when they saw that Jesus Christ was hanging out with those riffraffs, with those broken people, with those non-educated people, he said, hey, come follow me. Says he had dinner at the house of sinners. Jesus, if he walked into certain churches, people would actually kick him out and say, you're too wild, too adventurous, too crazy for us. You can't hang out with so-and-so. You can't listen to that. You can't... Rules, 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 rules. It says that he sat down with the drunks, with the sinners, with the prostitutes. That's who he had life with. That's who he did live love with. He sat down at their table. And the religious people looked from the outside... And they ridiculed and said, if he was really a son of God, he would know how awful those people are. He wouldn't hang out with them. Those folks are all broken. Surely he's got it wrong because we have got it right. And this is the response from Jesus Christ. says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Are you sick? I am. Sick with sin and with selfishness and anger and pride and anxiety and you name it. I'm sick with that stuff because there isn't one single day where I nail it. You hear that? Not one single day. And then I'm encouraged because it says that Jesus came for sick people like me. says, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, a.k.a. perfect and have got it all together. He says, but I came for those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Classic, beautiful example of the gospel, of the good news. Let me say it like that, capital G, capital N, right there. For those who are broken, for those who say, I don't have it all in line. Because he says that those are the ones that are sinners. He says, that's who I came for. Because the people who have it all together don't need a savior, right? They're their own saviors. Their own functional saviors. Little s, savior. So the message of Jesus Christ, of him saying that he came for sinners and for broken people and for ordinary people, what does it cause in the religious? Offense. How dare he say that? How come he's not acknowledging me? He said, you don't need me, Jesus Christ says. You have yourself. And here's where the weight gets lifted off of our shoulders. For those who are desperate, like me, 
he says it's not about religion. It's not about do more, act more, try to impress God more. I'm sure you understand there's no way to impress God. The one who spoke the world into being. How do you, how do you impress God? He says it's about relationship. It's about you acknowledging that you're my daughter. That you're my son. That's what it's about. And this is offensive because it takes all the leverage out of the hands of the religious. Because you can't hold anything to that, right? If you came for a lot of jacked up people and I claim to be unjacked up, what leverage do I have now? That's why it's so offensive. That's why it's so scandalous. This is the beginning of people murmuring to send Jesus Christ to the cross. Those words of I didn't come for you, but I came for them. That's offensive, highly offensive. Sit in a room with highly religious people and say Christ didn't come for you. See how well that goes. Say it's not about how much you give. It's not about how many Bible verses you know. It's not about the clothes you wear. Stand up with a group of religious people and claim that. It's not about perfection. It's about connection. And it's not about competency. It's about intimacy. Do you see how freeing that is? Do you see why it's called the good news? For for those who still struggle with this, it's a never-ending battle up a hill if you want to impress Jesus. There's a Greek god in mythology called Sisyphus. And he was doomed forever and ever, according to Greek mythology, to pull, to, I'm sorry, to push a boulder up a mountain forever and ever and ever. And guess what happens? When he seems to be getting to the point where he wants to get, guess what happens? The boulder rolls back down. He's doomed forever. Jesus Christ says, I don't want that for you, son or daughter. One of our favorite verses, right, is what? One of mine, at least. John 19.30. It is what? It is finished. Period. Not dot, dot, dot. This is good news for all of us. So what does Bob see in his friend Doug? That he knows how to love tangibly. What else does he see in his friend Doug after he gets shot by a pellet gun? Well, I would never expect that of him, actually. Because he doesn't look like the religious type. That is beautiful. When I text the word love, I often, it might be my fat thumb, but I often hit the eye. I was thinking 
maybe there's something kind of beautiful in that that I should observe. And I think that these two things are synonymous. The live love, the loving tangible, the being so real and so broken, but in such a desperate need of a savior that the only thing that happens naturally is that we are living love. The only thing that happens naturally is that we do know that we are connected to the vine. That we can indeed throw our hands up in the air and say, he's producing the fruit in me. I just need to stop making it about me. And it's by acknowledging that we've been soaked and we are marinating in his love that allows us to love. So this is how I'll close up. Make these questions personal. Please don't say, I wish my coworker was here to see this because that joker really needs us. This is for you today. It's, it's for me. Who needs your tangible love this afternoon starting this week? Not who do you need to go and save because they're so messed up. God does that, right? Who needs your love? Who can you go like Doug with, with Bob and pull out the bubble gum and grab a leaf and put it on the welt, so to speak? Who needs some tangible love from you? I guarantee that you can fill up your hands with the people who need tangible love from you. But don't worry about filling up your hands. Don't worry about it. Think of one. Just one. It's not about being religious. But the beautiful formula of how Jesus Christ did this is what? He said, by the way you love, the world will know. He goes before us. You see how that works? He says, before you arrive, I'm already there. And when you leave, I stay. That's good news. That's freeing. So, who needs your tangible love? Get the ball rolling. Text them later today. Go over to their place. Meet somewhere. Invite them over to your place. That person who you've lived next to for years, maybe that's who the person is. We say it often, right? You're not there by coincidence. Maybe they've never seen love. Maybe that's why you live there. Maybe that's why you work there. Maybe that's why you play there. You're not gambling on to see if this will work or not. You'd be gambling and losing if it was me standing up here and saying, if you love really hard, then people will know you are Jesus. I'm not saying it. I am the heralder, right? I take what's written and I stand up and I say, here it is. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would have that sink into us. That's my job. There is no risk. The only risk is when we put ourselves in the middle. And we make it about us. 
and we take his beautiful good news, his freeing and liberating news that says, I've outed all of you, you're all broken. Romans 3.23, we all fall short. He's outed us. <laughs> okay? There is no trying to impress or pretend. There's no need to try and make it look like you've got your act together. He's already declared it for us. So what if our lives haven't been a model of this? No big deal. He says, just acknowledge it. Know that you're in need. That's only difficult for prideful people who say, no, it's about me. I am self-autonomous. And I've got it. It's only difficult for those. But for those who know that you've been outed, that we've been outed, we've already been declared that we need a Savior and that He's come, there's not a lot to do except say, I'm sorry. You might hear this last line from you forever and ever. Because until we nail that down perfectly, and I know I haven't nailed that down, until we can come into that relationship with our Father and say, I'm sorry. It's been about me. I make it often about me. So it's a healthy thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's your little niece. It's your little cousin. It's your little brother, your little sister coming to you and saying, I'm sorry. That's it. Except you're doing it with your Heavenly Father. And after we repent, we rejoice because he offers a pardon. The good news is a pardon. And there is always a response to the good news of Jesus. There are those who mock him and refuse to believe. And there are those who respond and say, I accept. There is no middle ground. But anytime you read scripture, there is a response to the good news of Jesus. Mockery and rejection and ridicule? Or yeah, that's for me. And that should do nothing but bring us joy, right? Joy, like deep joy in your heart. I am forgiven. Think about those words. I am forgiven. Past, present, and future. doesn't matter what happened last night or five years ago or ten years. I am forgiven. And we rest because that good news should give us rest. There's nothing to be anxious about. The most important thing in the world, he's already sealed it and said, you're mine, my daughter. My son. His everything is better than our everything. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for setting the example for us. For serving us in tangible ways. Thank you for your grace. Let us this morning rest in you. It's in your son's name we pray.